Well, good morning, everybody. So good to see you all here this morning. My name is Tim Park. I serve as our lead pastor. If you're visiting for the first time, uh, we, we love first-time guests, and we trust that by the time you're done visiting today that you will have experienced the warmth of Jesus Christ in this place, and I trust you will. Before we open God's Word, I do want to take a moment to share some church family news. Uh, we got the word on Friday that our good friend Dewey Keel went home to be with Jesus. Uh, Dewey was such a uh, special part of our church family. And I know many of you got to know him in our grief share group. Uh, I remember Dewey uh, very vividly here in the worship center and he would sit there and he would uh, listen to the sermon and he would look up here very attentive and he would offer a warm smile to me every Sunday. And so that's what I will remember Dewey by, just his warmth. And we received word that he went home to be with Jesus on Friday. We, we mourn his death. At the same time, we celebrate the fact that he is no longer in pain. He is resting at peace with his Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. And we will see him again one day in the future. So we take comfort in that. For those who have reached out to his family over the last couple days, thank you. I've heard that you've dropped off meals, that you've comforted the family. Thank you for your care. Church family, God has used you in such a very special way to minister to those who are hurting. So we grieve with Dewey's family. We also find comfort that he is with Jesus. Well, today we continue our series that we titled The Church, Nature, Purpose, Function, and in week one of our series, Pastor Lou kicked off the series by encouraging us to utilize our spiritual gifts. We've all been blessed with spiritual gifts. And we've heard that it's not for our own gain. We don't use gifts to pump up ourselves. We utilize our gifts for the benefit of the church body. In week two, we looked at three vital components of a healthy church. You remember, we talked about a common commitment accountability. We talked about a common life, fellowship, and we talked about a common vision, partnership. And then in weeks three and four, we talked about the importance of corporate worship. And we said that for the follower of Jesus Christ, gathering together corporately is not an option. It's not a, an elective that you can choose from. It is a non-negotiable our personal worship times during the week, those are important. When we gather with our smaller groups throughout the week, that's important. But they are not substitutes for corporate worship. And then in week five, last week, Pastor Luke encouraged us to be one in the body of Christ, to be united as one church family. And so as we continue our series today, I've titled this morning's message, The Responsibilities of church leaders. The responsibilities of church leaders. And speaking of church leaders, in just the last month, two men of God, two giants of the faith, two pastors who loved their churches dearly, they went home to be with their Savior. Charles Stanley went home to be with Jesus on April 18th. 
And then just two days ago, on May 19, Tim Keller went home to be with Jesus. Charles Stanley served as senior pastor of First Baptist Church in Atlanta. Forget this. 49 years. 49 years he served as a senior pastor at First Baptist Church in Atlanta. And then in 2020, he took on the role of emeritus pastor. 49 years in one church. And his radio and television ministries, they reached countless people across our country and beyond. In our household, rarely would a day go by that Joanne would not come to me and share with me a word of encouragement that she heard from that morning's In Touch broadcast. Charles Stanley was a spiritual father and grandfather to so many people. I want to share with you a quote from his own son, Andy Stanley, who, by the way, is uh, one of the most well-known pastors in the United States. And this is what his son Andy wrote shortly after his father's passing. These final few weeks with my dad have been precious beyond words. At the end of every visit, he asked me to pray for him, which of course I did, on my knees beside the big leather chair he was confined to for the past several months. But as I was leaving his house this past Saturday, he asked if he could pray for me, as if he knew. Then, as was his habit, he said, I couldn't be prouder of you, Andy. The source of a word determines its weight. Those were wonderfully weighty words, and his final words to me. I'll miss him every day until I see him again. Tim Keller was the founding pastor of Redeemer Presbyterian Church in New York City. And for many of us in the ministry, in this generation, there are certain pastors who, who God gifts in a very special way who impact the lives of so many others, and in particular, pastors. And God uses men like Tim Keller to shape and also to reshape our understanding of the gospel. You can't read a book written by Tim Keller and not ponder what the gospel really means. And uh, he has this way of writing that makes you just stop in your tracks and say, God, I am just humbled, and I have so much more growing to do in the faith. And this is what Tim Keller wrote in a book that he titled Center Church, Doing Balanced Gospel-Centered Ministry in Your City. He wrote these words. The gospel is not just the ABCs, but the A to Z of the Christian life. It is inaccurate to think the gospel is what saves non-Christians, and then Christians mature by trying hard to live according to biblical principles. 
It is more accurate to say that we are saved by believing the gospel, and then we are transformed in every part of our minds, hearts, and lives by believing the gospel more and more deeply as life goes on. So church, thank you for allowing me to, to pay tribute to these godly, faithful leaders in the church, two leaders who loved their churches and who shepherded their churches. In the church, we often hear the word leader in a variety of different contexts. So, for example, someone might lead a life group. Another person might lead a care ministry. And still another person might lead an outreach event. For our purposes this morning, we're going to focus our attention on those leaders whom God has appointed to shepherd his flock, namely the elders of our church. It's possible that this might be the first sermon you've ever heard focused on the elders of a church. Maybe it's possible you've heard messages in the past about this subject. This is amongst the most important of all subjects that we could be talking about because we want to learn about the importance of church leadership and what godly church leadership looks like. And while some of the things that we're going to talk about today will apply to anybody who ministers on any level, the Bible gives specific instructions and qualifications to those who are called to shepherd his church and so, this morning, I invite you to turn to 1 Peter chapter 5, verses 1 through 4. 1 Peter chapter 5, verses 1 through 4. We'll lay the foundation with this passage, and then we'll look at a number of other passages. And so, the Apostle Peter writes this to the elders of the church, starting in verse 1. To the elders among you, I appeal... As a fellow elder, and as a witness of Christ's sufferings, who also will share in the glory to be revealed, be shepherds of God's flock that is under your care, watching over them, not because you must, but because you are willing, as God wants you to be, not pursuing dishonest gain, but eager to serve, not lording it over those entrusted to you, but being examples to the flock." And when the chief shepherd appears, you will receive the crown of glory that will never fade away. Throughout this morning's message, I'm going to share with you the responsibilities of church leaders, namely the elders of our church. Before I do so, it'll be very helpful for us to get to know the word elder just a bit. And I'll begin by saying this, elders are not simply older Christians. All right, so elders are not just simply the old people. In our church, there is not a minimum age requirement to serve as an elder. Okay? I remember when I first started receiving AARP letters in the mail. 
about four and a half years ago. If you have no idea what AARP stands for, you'll get there one day. So about four and a half years ago, I started receiving AARP letters in the mail. And the first letter I got, I thought to myself, no, I'm too young. And now, in just a matter of time, I'm going to be eligible to receive discounts at restaurants. <laughs> Come this December, I'll be able to get a 10% discount if I so choose. That's a good thing, right? So if you want breakfast, breakfast is on me, all right? <laughs> Just wait till December. You know, in some places in the Bible, especially in the Old Testament, it was true that the word elder was often closely associated with older people, those older than most. In many cultures at that time, Leadership was given to the older people, but in 1 Peter 5, when Peter uses the word elder, he has something else in mind. So when you see the word elder in 1 Peter 5, it's defined specifically as this, those who formally hold a God-given office of leadership within the church. So whenever you see elder, in 1 Peter 5, it refers to those formally who hold a God-given office of leadership within the church. The word elder in the original Greek language is a word presbyteros. Presbyteros is where we get our English word Presbyterian, which is a denomination within the church. Now, in order for us to properly understand this office of elder, it'll be good for us to go all the way back into the history of time. And what we'll see is this progression of how God shepherds his people. There's a clear connection between the office of elder today in 2021 all the way back at the beginning of time. And so what I'm going to do is I'm going to survey a few Bible passages very quickly to get us back to 1 Peter chapter 5. In Genesis 48, in verses 15 and 16, it says this, that he blessed Joseph and said, may the God before whom my fathers Abraham and Isaac walked faithfully, the God who has been my shepherd all my life to this day, the angel who has delivered me from all harm, may he bless these boys. So here's the scene. Jacob is about to die, and so he blesses his son Joseph, and he blesses his grandsons. And Jacob says about God that God is my shepherd. Where else have we heard that phrase? Psalm 23, in verse 1, David says, The Lord is my shepherd. I lack nothing. The source of David's comfort was God's shepherding care. And so when we go back to the beginning of time, we see God directly shepherding his people, people like Jacob and David. And at times throughout the history of God's people, God also appoints people from within the flock to shepherd the flock. Moses was called the shepherd of Israel. 
God said to David, you will shepherd my people. Jeremiah the prophet called himself a shepherd of Israel. That's only in the Old Testament. And I can go into many more passages. But when we go into the New Testament, we see Jesus and he calls himself the good shepherd. In John chapter 10, verses 11 and 14, he says, I am the good shepherd. The good shepherd lays down his life for his sheep. And then in verse 14, I am the good shepherd. I know my sheep and my sheep know me. We could go on and on and on, but the point is this. When we come to the office of elder here in the 21st century, what it is is this. It is a manifestation of God's shepherding care that we've seen throughout history. On a practical level, God shepherds his church through its elders. That's important for us to know. God shepherds his church through its elders. And so this morning, I'm going to share with you three pairs of responsibilities of godly leaders. Three pairs of responsibilities. And I'm going to do this in a way that hopefully you'll remember so that next week when I quiz you on this, you can recall these three pairs. And by the way, when I share these three pairs, some of what we'll talk about today, they'll apply to anybody who ministers in the church. But specifically, we're now we're talking about godly elders. So three pairs. Here's the first pair. Godly church leaders lead and feed. They lead and feed. I like rhymes because they help you memorize things. And so godly leaders lead and feed. The elders of our church, they're called to lead and feed the flock. In other words, to provide guidance. Now, there are many reasons why the Bible compares us to sheep. For those of you who aren't good with directions, you'll appreciate this. Sheep don't have the best sense of direction. If left to themselves, they will just wander about aimlessly. And they'll just wander and wander until somebody comes and leads them to where they need to go. That's why in the New Testament, Jesus said to the people, follow me. Over and over again, Jesus said, follow me. Sheep need someone to lead them. And here's the beauty. When somebody comes along and leads them, sheep will follow them. Do you know why? Because here's another characteristic. Sheep are very impressionable. They're very impressionable. So if somebody comes along and leads them, they will follow. They're good at following. In 2005, there was a sad news story that came out of the country of Turkey. 1,500 sheep jumped off a 50-foot cliff. Now, you might ask, why would they do that? Well, Apparently, the first sheep either fell or jumped off the cliff to its death, 50 feet below. But because sheep are so impressionable, 
the next sheep followed suit until all 1,500 sheep jumped off the cliff. You can find that news story online. The first 450 sheep fell to their death. The remaining 1,000 plus, they survived only because they fell on the pile of sheep that had already fallen. Sheep are impressionable. That's why they need shepherds, but not just any shepherds. They need shepherds that will not lead them astray. Turn with me to 1 Timothy chapter 3, verses 1 through 7. 1 Timothy 3, verses 1 to 7. As you make your way there, allow me to set the stage for what we're about to read. At the end of Paul's ministry, he wrote letters to Timothy and Titus. We often call these the pastoral letters, the pastoral epistles. These two leaders, Timothy and Titus, they were leaders in their respective churches. Timothy at Ephesus, Titus on the island of Crete. And Paul wrote these letters to instruct these spiritual leaders on how to organize the church, how to appoint elders and deacons, and how they are to stay committed to sound doctrine. And so here's what Paul writes to Timothy in 1 Timothy 3, verse 1. Here's a trustworthy saying. Whoever aspires to be an overseer desires a noble task. Now the overseer is to be above reproach, faithful to his wife, temperate, self-controlled, respectable, hospitable, able to teach, not given to drunkenness, not violent but gentle, not quarrelsome, not a lover of money. He must manage his own family well and see that his children obey him, and he must do so in a manner worthy of full respect. If anyone does not know how to manage his own family, how can he take care of God's church? He must not be a recent convert, or he may become conceited and fall under the same judgment as the devil. He must also have a good reputation with outsiders so that he will not fall into disgrace and into the devil's trap. What a sobering list, isn't it? The word overseer that Paul uses here is used interchangeably with the word elder. And what we have before us in this passage, which, by the way, is echoed in Titus 1, is a list of the qualifications of an elder. Now, here at our church, we typically have nine lay elders who serve alongside the senior pastor. And so the ten of us right now currently make up the elder team. Lay elders at our church, they serve three-year terms. And so they can serve a term of three years, and they can serve multiple terms into the future with at least a one-year break between terms. You can find the names of our current elders on our church website. Just go to our staff and elders page, and you can scroll down and see the names of our nine current elders. John Suzuki serves as our elder chairman. Kelvin Chin, 
Gilbert Zaragoza, John Hamill, William Shee, Bruce Biller, Ron Clark, Phil Meister, Nick Gonzalez. These nine men serve as our current elders. In August, our new term begins. And so John Suzuki, Kelvin Chin, and Gilbert Zaragoza will finish their three-year term. And we'll welcome onto the team Tony Fang, Chuck Johnson, and Tom Leininger, who were recently affirmed at our business meeting. Now, it's important to know this. It's important to know that the process by which elders are selected, the process is not conducted as if it were a popularity contest. And it's important to know that. That is never a good way to determine who will serve as leaders of a church. It is not a popularity contest. Rather, it is a very careful, prayerfully thought-out process involving a team of men and women here at our church with congregational involvement. And it's a careful process that determines who should serve as our elders. Now, as we just read this list of qualifications, it was a long list. And some of you might have been thinking to yourself, wow, Paul left out the part where the elder must be able to leap a tall building in a single bound. Because it seems like an impossible list. But every time I read that list, it's an instant reminder of the critical role that elders play in the life of a church. That is why the Word of God is so clear on the qualification of its leaders. That doesn't mean that God is looking for perfect leaders. Because this side of heaven, there is no perfect church. There are no perfect families. As such, there are no perfect leaders. But here's what it does mean. God is looking for spiritually mature leaders who seek after his heart, who are faithful to their wife if they are married, who love their families, who love their church, and who will do everything in their power to lead God's flock in a way that will honor him. That is who God is looking for in his church. And one of the key ways that leaders shepherd God's flock is by feeding the flock. In other words, teaching the truth of God's word. And that's why Paul says the overseer must be able to teach. Now, this doesn't mean that every elder is going to teach in the same capacity or the same manner or the same environment. I'm thankful that God has blessed each one of our elders with special gifts. Every time we gather for our elders meeting, I'll sit around the table and I'll look at these nine men and I'll think to myself, God, I'm thankful that so-and-so is here and so-and-so is here because they, they are blessed with gifts that I, I am not blessed with. So every time I sit around our elders' table, I'm thankful to God. And that speaks to the importance of the plurality of elders. 
It is important that we understand the, the, the nature of the plurality of elders, that God has called together this team to work together to lead his church, and he's blessed them with their gifts. And so whether we teach from the stage on a Sunday morning, whether we teach in our respective groups downstairs, upstairs, throughout the week, God has called the elders of the church to lead and to feed. But did you know that leading and feeding is nothing without character? It begins with character. Being an elder is so much more than just the ability to lead. In fact, I guarantee it, if you were to ask any of our elders, they will tell you, wow, I learned the role of being an elder on the job. I had to learn on the job. But I'll tell you this much. In the end, do you know what will make or break an elder? Here's the one thing that will make or break a leader in the church. Character. Character is what will make or break the elder of the church. And so godly leaders are called to lead and feed. Here's a second pair of responsibilities. Godly leaders watch and warn. They watch and warn. And if the first pair of responsibilities, lead and feed, can be summed up by the word guidance, then the second pair, watch and warn, can be summed up by the word protection. Because sheep need to be protected. Our elders have been given the sobering task of protecting the flock. And that includes protecting the flock from those inside the church, as well as those outside the church who do not have the flock's best interest in mind, but have only their selfish gain in mind. Godly leaders watch and warn. Turn with me to Acts 20. Acts 20, verses 28 to 31. Acts chapter 20, verses 28 to 31. In this passage, Luke records Paul's final address to the Ephesian elders. So Luke, the author of the book of Acts, he records Paul's exhortation to the Ephesian elders. And this is what we read in Acts 20, starting in verse 28. Keep watch over yourselves and all the flock of which the Holy Spirit has made you overseers. Be shepherds of the church of God, which he brought or which he bought with his own blood. I know that after I leave, savage wolves will come in among you and will not spare the flock. Even from your own number, men will arise and distort the truth in order to draw away disciples after them. So, be on your guard. Remember that for three years I never stopped warning each of you night and day with tears. Do you sense the passion in Paul's plea here? This was of the utmost importance to Paul, that the elders of the church, they understand their role. And the role is to watch over the flock and to warn the flock of danger. Paul knew the devastating effects of distorting the truth of God's word. The author of the book of Hebrews, 
He exhorts the flock to submit to the leaders of the church because the leaders watch over them. We'll talk about that passage later in our series. Godly leaders watch and warn. In other words, they protect the flock. We learned that sheep don't have a good sense of direction. They need a leader. We've learned that sheep are impressionable. They'll follow. But did you also know there's another characteristic of sheep? And that's this. Sheep cannot defend themselves. Sheep don't have the propensity to fight back. It's not in their nature. That is why David wrote about his shepherd, your rod and your staff, they comfort me. Because sheep don't fight back. The shepherd used the rod to ward off dangerous animals who would attack his sheep. The shepherd would use the staff with a large crook to gather his sheep before they would go astray. The shepherd watches and warns. And that is why spiritual maturity is indispensable in a leader in the church. Godly leaders, they watch and they warn. Here's a third and final pair of responsibilities. Godly church leaders tend and mend. So they lead and feed, they watch and warn, they tend and mend. So next week I'll ask you what they do. They lead and feed, they watch and warn, they tend and mend. So if the first pair of responsibilities, lead and feed, is summarized by the word guidance, and if the second pair, watch and warn, is summed up by the word protection, then this third pair, tend and mend, can be summed up by the word care. So you've got guidance, protection, care. Lead and feed, watch and warn, tend and mend. Godly leaders are called to tend to the health of the flock. And we do that in many ways. We do that by praying for the flock. Every Sunday after service, we invite you. If you need prayer, we have leaders who are ready to pray for you. In James chapter 5, verse 14, we read these words. Is anyone among you sick? Let them call the elders of the church to pray over them and anoint them with oil in the name of the Lord. Over the years, our elders have gathered together and we've prayed for individuals. Those individuals have reached out to us. I need prayer. Can you gather the elders of the church? And so throughout the years, we've gathered together as leaders in the church. We've sat or stood around an individual, reached out, laid hands, and we would pray for that individual because God calls the elders of the church to pray for the flock. And so the elders, they tend to the flock. But not only that, they, they mend relationships. 
There are many broken relationships in the church. Maybe you've been part of a broken relationship. And over the years, our elders, we've had to gather. And we've had to carry out conflict resolution between individuals in the church. And on a number of occasions, I've sat down in a room with a couple other elders and individuals in our church as they're going through conflict. These are not pleasant conversations. These are not easy conversations, but they are absolutely necessary. That's because growth often happens in the aftermath of pain, right? Growth often happens in the aftermath of pain. Our elders and staff members, we've carried many burdens over the years. Many heavy burdens. Here's a question for you. Have you ever seen a picture of a sheep carrying a heavy load? Probably not. Think about that. If you do a search online, sheep carrying heavy load, chances are you won't come up with any results. What animal do we usually associate with a heavy load? A mule, a donkey. Now, that's not to say the sheep don't carry heavy loads in the church. You all have burdens that you carry. But when it comes to the matters of the church, God has called the leaders of the church to do the heavy lifting. When we think about a mule, do you know what the nickname of a mule is? It is a beast of what? Burden. A mule is a beast of burden because a mule was designed to carry heavy loads. Our church leaders, our elders, they are beasts. And I say that in the most loving way. You are a beast. You are a beast. You're a beast. You're a beast. You're a beast. You're a beast. God called the elders of our church to do the heavy lifting. <clears throat> and it's an honor for me to serve alongside these men these godly men who love their families, who are faithful to their wife if they are married, who want to honor God with everything they do. And over the years, we've had to sit together and talk through painful things, painful things, heartbreaking circumstances. But God has called the elders of the church to lead his flock. I want to close with this. I remember the first elders meeting that I was part of when I had become our lead pastor. This was in the summer of 2015. When I first arrived at our church in 2011, I served as our associate pastor of family ministries under the leadership of Pastor Mark Hopper. And then he handed me the baton 
here on the stage, and I became our lead pastor in 2015, in the summer. And I sat there at the first elders meeting that I was at as the lead pastor. And I'll never forget, at the beginning of that meeting, one of the elders, he looked at me, and he said, Tim, you should see nine arrows. And then he pointed at all nine men at the table, including himself. He said, Tim, you should see nine arrows in us before one ever gets to you. Church, we, we are blessed. We are blessed with godly shepherds. I'm thankful for our elders, for those I serve with currently, those I've served with in the past, those who will serve this coming August. And so church, flock, would you do this this week? Would you pray for our elders? Would you go on to our website, open up the staff and elders page, and look at their names and pray for them by name this week? Because they do some heavy lifting. And we want to pray for them. Let's bow together. Father, you care so much about your church. So much that you have called the elders of our church to shepherd the flock. to lead and to feed, to watch and to warn, to tend and to mend. I pray for our elders this week. Would you encourage them, bless them, renew their strength? I pray for the flock that we would submit to our elders. We would love them and appreciate their guidance their protection, and their care. We give you all glory. Lord, you are our shepherd. We thank you that you guide us and you protect us and you care so deeply for your church. We pray all these things in Jesus' name. Amen.